The Collective Whisper Podcast with Simon King. Hello everybody, I'd like to welcome Denise Brennan. Denise Brennan is a highly acclaimed, award-winning and sought-after singer and performer. She has been performing professionally at home and abroad throughout concert halls, opera houses and theatres since the age of 18. Denise has enjoyed international touring success, taking centre stage in hits of shows such as Bill Whelan's Riverdance The Show, as a Celtic soprano solos with the Dublin Philharmonic Orchestra, performing at the prestigious Bunratty Castle, Ireland's National Concert Hall, the Helix Dublin as a soloist with the applause concert presented by Ames and Women of Ireland with Frankie Gavin and Edamon. Denise Brennan has sang for the Irish Consulate and his guests at his family home while in New York City. She took to the stage at Croke Park and performed in front of an audience of thousands for the 2003 Special Olympics with Riverdance and an international TV audience of millions. Women of Ireland, in which Denise is a soloist, were nominated for the Best Newcomer Group Award at Ireland's Music Awards alongside the High Kings. Okay, welcome to the show, Denise. How are you? How are you, Simon? Good to be here. Nice, nice to chat with you today. It's good. I, I came across your profile um, a few weeks ago and I thought, oh, it, Denise sounds really interesting. I have to have her on the show. And I thought to myself, what have I got to talk about? <laughs> Normally, when I'm looking for people, I'm looking for people who have had an interesting background and, you know, an interesting life so far. And, yeah. you know, people in the arts, in movies and all kinds of things. But you know, once you've kind of done something and achieved something, I'm thinking, okay, I want to find out that story and see what it's all about, you know? So, Denise, tell us, where are you living? Where, where do you live? So, I live in Arkham County, Wicklow, in Ireland. Okay. Yeah, and I, I grew up here, actually. So, um, even though I've travelled all around the place, um, I always thought I'd move, but I always came back here. So, here we are, yeah. Um, we will probably probably move in the future at some stage, but yeah, we're we're happy here. Yeah, brilliant. My I have a sister living in in Ockram, so it's not too far away from you. Oh, do you? Ah, oh, very good. Yeah, Small world. Yeah. <laughs> because originally, my some of my my father is originally from Carlow, from Tullow in County Carlow. Oh, lovely. So uh, my sister has been living in Wicklow for. Oh, I think about four, four or five years. But yeah. are, like the rest of my family are in Galway. I'm, I'm a Galway man. You're a Galway man. Oh, I love Galway. I, my, my mother's a Galway woman. So we moved back there years ago. So I would call Galway my home, even though I suppose, you know, Tullow is kind of on the border of Wicklow and Carlow. So I'm kind of a Wicklow Carlow man as well. <laughs> <laughs> you pick and choose, depending on how you're feeling. <laughs> I always call myself a nomad because. I've lived kind of in different places, and now I live in Madrid. Yeah, I, I kind of feel like I've, I've um, lived in many places, but yet I haven't. It's just because I've toured, you know, that kind of way. Um, but, yeah, 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 yeah. But you're very lucky um, because Galway's a stunning city, and it's just buzzing, isn't it? It's full of energy. Um, such a good vibe, yeah. Galway is a great city culturally, I mean, as well. And, you know, for music and the arts, it's great. Right now, I suppose, with the lockdown and COVID, it's a bit a bit depressing. I see on Facebook some days they, they have pictures of the streets and they're, you know, empty and there isn't the throngs of people. 
and I'm kind of going, wow, that's pretty sad looking, isn't it? It really is. Even St. Patrick's Day here, um, we just, just saw two Garda cars with balloons and um, they had the sirens going. And I just said to my husband, John, I said, God, this is pretty sad, isn't it? <laughs> you know, in comparison to what we'd usually be doing on St. Patrick's Day and celebrating. Um, but actually, we did have a good St. Patrick's Day. We um, watched Keith Barry show. Um, we took part in it, a um, virtual show online. So it was great fun, actually. Yeah, it was good. Normally for you, around St. Patrick's Day, would you be gigging or doing concerts or, you know, you'd be busy, I suppose, no? Um, depending on where I, depending on where I am in life and what stage I'm at, you know, um, usually, I mean, ideally, you know, it's lovely when you're performing abroad for St. Patrick's Day, but I feel like that was almost many moons ago. I now have two children um, married, so I tend to not sing on St. Patrick's Day and uh, just take part in the festivities for you, you know. Right, right, right. And, you know, so you said there you... You know, you're living in Arklow and you grew up in Arklow as well, didn't you? Yeah, so we just grew up on the outskirts um, of Arklow. It was kind of, it was nice. It was kind of near the town, but it was out in the country. So we had lots of um, fields and freedom growing up. It was lovely. And then we moved to Bray. It was about four. Um, and my mum and dad owned news agents there. Because my dad was actually working in Telecom Aaron in Dublin. So okay. we thought we'd move to make the commute easier. Um, and uh, we just, I, I don't know, I think my mom's a homebird, she grew up here, she's from our club. So we ended up moving back um, near the beach, which was equally as lovely. And uh, had a lovely childhood too. Uh, is there many children in your family? Have you many brothers and sisters? Seven of us, would you believe? So I'm the youngest of seven children and um, I'm a twin as well. So I always tell my mom she loves to say the best to last. <laughs> this is a three-minute twin girl or twin boy. What do you have? Twin boy. Oh. Yeah, and and we are so different. Like he's brown hair and blue eyes, and um, he's so different to me. But we'd be quite connected as well. And he was always into the arts, always into speech and drama and and um, plays and that kind of thing. Um, but he's actually a carer and he's living in Trillie now. So but we, we keep in contact a lot on the phone. When you look back now, um, you know, like early memories for you as a child, would it be, would it start more once you moved to Bray? Because obviously if you were four years old, you mightn't remember much before that. So was Bray kind of the, your main childhood kind of memories? No, Bray was a little bit of a blur actually. Um, because it was only, we only stayed there a year and a half. So I actually remember a lot of growing up on the beach road in Arklow. Um, even like my mom loved her garden and she had loads of flowers and empty flower pots as well. I actually remember stirring up the soil as if I was making dinner. You know, I remember, I remember my sister Caroline singing in the back garden and so laying out a, a blanket lying there and just singing. And one of the festival songs for our music festival. Um, Ladybird song actually was called um, and so some really really lovely memories of that actually yeah um, and then when we moved back to Arklow we um, moved opposite the pigeon butt and we used to play like cops and robbers in, in amongst the hills the pigeon butt because it was closed at that stage and uh, the wooded area and we were just very imaginative and had lots of fun was good and like the art and music festival was huge like people come from all over so music and singing was a lot um just very much in my growing up and, and in my family and stuff like that so 
that was something I used to work towards every year. Um, even though I was extremely nervous, actually, I was a very nervous um, singer and performer. <laughs> it just it, the idea of getting up and singing in front of people scared me so much. But my love for it and my want and my need to get up there just made me do it anyway, you know. But um, yeah, yeah. Was music a big thing in the family? Even before, like with your parents, were they very musical? Yes, my, my dad is from Tullamore. And um, they, his family actually set up the St. Colin Peel's Pipe Band um, in 1910, would you believe? So they're the first to set that up in, in Tullamore. And um, yeah, all the brothers, not, not the sisters, I suppose it was the era, you know, all the brothers took part in it. So dad would have been... Um, Played the accordion, remember playing the accordion a lot growing up, and the piano as well. Um, and then my sisters like were taking singing lessons and um, piano lessons. I was sent for singing lessons, piano lessons, and all the yeah, so it's very much around me growing up. But the funny thing about it is, like, I remember listening to Don Williams, who's a country singer. You know, um, I remember listening to Eminem, who's a rapper. Um, and then all this musical theatre thrown in as well. Like, part, right. of, part of my dream was just to sing on the West End stage. You know what I mean? Like, I, I just, yeah, yeah. whatever brought me joy, I just loved all these types of music. So um, it's interesting, you know, when I look back, um, kind of quite a vast array of, of influences. Even though I don't know if Eminem, I would say, is an influence, but I certainly enjoy, enjoy his music. Yeah, I, I can imagine you doing Eminem and the West End. Yeah, yeah, just one more. So I was always a bit skew in my direction, actually, as a singer. In your family, were you in the middle or youngest or eldest? Where were you exactly, you and your twin? Yeah, I was the young, we were the youngest. So I'm the very youngest. And James, my twin, he was born three minutes ahead of me. So, yeah. I'd say they were delighted now when they brought me home and they were like, oh, okay, another, ki another kid to take away the attention, you know? <laughs> yeah, but, um, and, but, but it's, mad, it's mad when you say I'm the youngest, but only by three minutes. I know, it's like I still can't claim that. And I, I try yeah, to, you know? Yeah, yeah. I still say to James, I'm actually the baby. I'm the baby. <laughs> you're still the baby, yeah. yeah. He, he feels like the baby, but you're the real baby. I know. Are both your parents still alive? They are? They are, yeah. God, they're, right, they're, right, that's good. That's yeah, good. they're um, God, they're my rocks. They really are. Um, and they're doing great, even the whole COVID pandemic thing. They're so close, and they go for walks every day. They're just so they're amazing. They're extremely inspiring, you know. And they're very practical people. They live in the moment. Um, and I suppose I'd be the, I don't know, I'd be the. the very happy, the creative one and the dreamer and all that. So my mom kind of, you know, yeah. she keeps me focused. She's great. Yeah. And and the, um, like for you guys and your family and seeing each other and everything with the lockdown, um, I suppose the same for everybody else. It's been pretty difficult, no? Yeah, it has. Like, especially in the first lockdown and going down around to the house and standing at the gate with my mask on and like I remember actually the first time tears coming to my eyes you know and I was just kind of giving them hugs and blowing kisses and stuff and having a chat and all the rest and then the I suppose fear was was grasping everyone wasn't it and it was kind of like 
I try and stay away from news and that kind of thing now, but we've, we've relaxed a little bit, but, but we're still extremely safe. So for example, I go into the back garden and mom and dad will come out to me. We keep our distance in you know, that kind of way. But um, because it's important, you have to have connectivity. You have to have that. I mean, it's fundamental for people. It's like if you watch the movie, like I find it a bit surreal sometimes. It's like if you watch a movie and someone has leprosy yeah. or something where nobody can touch them because it's contagious. And you imagine in that yeah. in your family, if some if, if a child had leprosy or your husband or whoever, and you couldn't actually touch them or give them a hug. And if you watch that in a movie, you'd be thinking, oh, my God, that would be a terrible life. But we're kind of living that now because yeah. grandparents are coming over, talking to their grandchildren through the yeah. window like they have leprosy or, the, you know, it's really, really crazy, isn't it? It's so wrong. It's crazy. It's so wrong, really, you know, but it is what it is. Um, I just, I worry about people's mental health and like I'm a three-year-old little girl and a 10-year-old boy and Peter can understand it. He understands what's going on, but Juliet doesn't. She's only three. Um, she's extremely clinging to us, even though she's very outgoing. She's um, quite nervous around other people because she hasn't had that experience. She hasn't had enough, um, in, you know, enough kind of mingling and interacting with people outside of family. Um, so I kind of worry about how this will affect, especially young kids. Because this is the norm in which they're growing up. So how are they supposed to develop their social skills at a time where it's needed for them? So, if, you know, it's going into their subconscious. It's a natural, normal thing. I just worry that they're going to take a step back. So, for example, before the pandemic, I tried to send her to Montessori. And um, she was not having it. And I thought to myself, okay, I'll give her another year too soon, too soon for her. Um, actually, it wasn't before the pandemic. It was just when it started, but the, the Montessori place was still open. Um, and then um, and then it just wasn't going to happen. So I, I do worry about you know, getting out and getting comfortable and, and starting Montessori. I don't know. But I don't know. I think I'm going to have to wait for another year. We'll see, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, yeah I suppose that for kids now they're growing up in a new age when social interaction will be much less than before but maybe they won't notice it but it definitely will have an effect on their you know on their mental development and their overall development because you know they they'll always feel limited oh i can't you know hug that person or so it is going to be tough yeah imagine feeling it yeah, and it's in our humanity to want to touch, to want to hug, you yeah, know, that's, yeah. that should be a rite of passage. It's very strange. We, we didn't have to grow up in that, um, so only time will tell, but I'm just hopeful for Juliet that I know she's so outgoing and she's so confident and she's so fun that she will naturally gain that confidence with, with other people and that kind of thing. It will happen, but, you know, and then you've got the people, you know, people who are, disabled disabilities who need that interaction yes um who, who need hugs do you know what i mean who need that, that i mean yeah with autistic children and everything yes. it's going to be really difficult and yeah it's, i mean those are so let me let's go back a little to you you went to school in saint mary's college in arclo didn't yeah, you i did and you you tell us a bit about that because i know that kind of was 
you started your singing there and everything and you had a, a good mentor yeah. uh, sister agnes i yes, think wasn't it and your research. <laughs> tell me a bit about that you know like and how she introduced you to singing and how you got the bug yeah so i i had the bug way before secondary school i used to just like sit in my room stand in my room and pretend i was performing on stage do you know what i mean the hairbrush <laughs> the thing for me was no no just you know it was my my happy no i just imagine yeah i know sad but <laughs> that was my happy place was very imaginative um <clears throat> And um, I took part in the local music society, I think in fifth class in, in primary school. Um, <clears throat> I went to singing lessons for a year before I went to Sister Agnes then when I started secondary school. And she, you know, was very much focused on your singing exams, focus on um, festival pieces for our music festival, festival. And I would have done like duets and that kind of thing. So that was a lot of fun. Um, and obviously we took part in choir competitions every year. So that was great. Um, but I was a very, very nervous singer and a very nervous performer, which baffles me really when I think about it, you know, because I had such a love for it. So it just didn't really make sense. For example, the first year my mom put me in, um, well, my singing teacher put me in for a competition at the African Music Festival. I got up and I started crying and my chin was wobbling. Like, um, I think I was 11 and I couldn't finish the piece. I uh, went down to my mom, the adjudicator said to me at the end, do you want to come back up and finish the piece? And um, I said, no. <laughs> you know, Not today. the next year, not today, Josephine. And then the next, the next year, I got up and I did the same thing. And I literally, I was like, I'm going to sing this. I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to cry. I got up and I did the same thing. But when he asked me to come back up to sing again, um, I did get through it. And um, so that was good. And then the year after that, I, I sang through it. I was fine. Um, no tears, no nothing. And I didn't win, I didn't get placed or anything, but you know what? I, I felt like I'd won, you know? <laughs> um, and, and then, so that kind of helped the confidence a little, which is brilliant. And the funny thing about it also, Simon, no one was pushing me to do these competitions. You know, you know my mom would say to me, you don't have to do this, don't do them. It was always me because I wanted to, I wanted to perform, I wanted to sing, you know? I wanted it to feel like what I knew what, could feel like you know so and then there was the musicals that went on in St Mary's College and a wonderful man who's a teacher there Cameroni and was auditioning pupils from every year in school for the part of Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz so he said to me you want to audition to these and I said yeah, absolutely and I did I think I did three auditions and they whittled it down in numbers and um, I got the part which was amazing and this was just like magic for me um, and I remember during a rehearsal, he said, now, there's the stage, there's a ramp that's going to go around the, the orchestra pit, and I want you to sing Summer of the Rainbow on the ramp. Now, it's going to be very close to, the, yeah, now it's going to be very close to the audience. You're not going to get too nervous, are you? You know, because he knew. <laughs> and I said, no, no, I'm not. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? I was absolutely grand. I was so nervous before going on stage. But once I was on that stage, my God, I was in heaven. You know, I was at home and I absolutely loved it. And I kind of feel like that was the, the, the pivotal point in me, you know, turning over a new leaf in, in my confidence and that. So I feel like, I don't think he realises it, but... 
you know, he, I feel like I owe him so much because he really, really helped me, you know, and it was so magical. So that was actually the best experience in my whole secondary school. Sometimes I suppose for for people, whether, you know, it's playing the guitar on stage or piano or singing or any kind of performance, acting, you can have those moments of, I mean, a lot of artists are very insecure, you know, and they they lack confidence and then they, they turn it on for that performance and people go, wow, I could never do that. They're amazing. But what they didn't see was that person back before saying, I need Xanax, I need something to calm me down, or I need, <laughs> I'm in tears, you know, they don't see the, the, the preparation yeah. mentally even that goes into yeah. some of those performances, no? No, they don't, and it's interesting because for me, I was always, I internalized it, I never, like, I wasn't the one that, oh my god, I always internalized it, and I always felt the nerves, but people always look to me as, you know, what were you, you know, why are you so nervous? Or you were absolutely grand up there, you know? And then I turn around, even to this day, last, um, was it two, two, two years ago, two, three years ago, I played um, Kitty Kiernan and Michael Collins in Wexford, um, Oyster Lane Theatre Group in Wexford. And I said to a woman after, was that okay? And she, she was like, yes. Yeah, it was okay. Why are you asking? You know, it's almost like people. But I think as performers, it's like it's like um, art. You know, it doesn't matter how much you practice it. Whatever comes out on the day is always unique, isn't it? So it's you're right. We, all, we are a little insecure. <laughs> you know. You know, sometimes with with artists, you can see that where they're off camera or off stage they can be a little insecure. Yeah. And I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, you know, and I, I think it's it's like if a boxer goes into the ring, if he has fear, sometimes it's the best thing for him because it makes him perform. So I think if we were too cocky and everything, yeah, you need, you need that, like, to bring you down to earth and make you think, well, was it good? Was I bad? Was it, you know, so I think there'll always be that level because... You know, going on stage is something where you're performing and you're asking the people to like it and you, you're kind of looking. You, you might yeah. necessarily want them to say, oh, well done, well done. But you're looking for it in their faces. You want to see that they like it. Yeah, and I think the older I've gotten, um, I can you can just sense. You just know whether you've done a good job or not. And a good job is, you know, I suppose it depends what perspective you're coming from, your perspective for someone else but I think if you feel like you've done a good job that's enough for me you know um because you do get a sense of the room you get a sense of people and the vibe um but I think you know as human beings like we're human beings we're, we're not robots um for me um I want to be very very sensitive you know um and I have to talk myself into doing some performances and stuff like that more so when I was younger and now, obviously, I've gained more confidence in my ability. For you, um, like, obviously, when when you were a teenager and you were involved with the musicals and singing and everything, like, in regards to, you know, contemporary music or what kind of music did you listen to? What Like, what bands or artists did you kind of did influence you a lot? Actually, I used to listen to Mary Black, Moral um, Connell, um, a lot of Andrew Lloyd Webber. Um, I used to listen to Sleep Dion, Kate Bush, Garth Brooks, um, Tori Amos. Like, I have a wide variety of people. Um, I love Imelda May to this day, actually. 
Um, she'd be someone now I, I really love her. Um, yeah, there's a, a wide spectrum of people, of, of influences and, and that kind of thing. But it's interesting because I've always loved musical theatre and I've always done it in an amateur capacity with some professional concerts thrown in there where I would have sang. But it's all the Irish stuff that I would have done professionally, you know, and that is that I suppose been paid for, you know, that is the foot bread and butter on the table, really. So um all of my stuff working abroad would have been like the likes of seeing Caledonia, Isle of Hope, Mary of Dunlow, I know my love, um, you know, the water is wide, a song for Ireland. All those daddy boys, all that kind of stuff, yeah. And do you know what? I absolutely love it. And I would love to put together an album of Irish and Irish classics, actually, because that's something I haven't done yet, and I love that. Going back there, just when you were saying, obviously, because with most of the musicals, you've done them amateur, you know, amateur productions, but obviously through you singing with River Dance and the whole lot, did you get a chance to kind of go ever like or think about going professional with with the musical theatre? I mean, like you said, maybe performing on the West End. Did, was that ever in the pipeline or did you ever have any opportunities? Um, gosh, it's, I think I was a little scared, to be honest, because it would have meant that I would have to move to England and getting on the plane for Riverdance was the first time I was on a plane. So um, I was also, yeah, I was, um, I, th- I was 18, I think, was I 18? Yeah, uh, I was 18 and uh, it was the first time I was on a plane and I was going into a cast that had already been touring together for quite a long time. I was the youngest in the choir. It was at a time where, um, you know, Darren Holden, and Brian Dunphy and Myler and Lisa Kelly from, um, yeah, who else? It was loads anyway. So it was kind of that time, all these amazing people, but they had their like partners with them and they were older than me. And um, I remember all the Irish dancers, they were all going out together with one another. So this was like, I was very green, you know? Yes, <laughs> and, yes. and I was just hoping like do a good job, you know, uh, and make a few friends along the way, which is totally what happened. I had such a beautiful time in river dance and my best friends they were the tap dancers actually from new york um and uh they became my family and i toured with river dance for a whole year um and i remember my agent saying okay denise you know um you've been with them for a year maybe think about doing something else and you know you don't want to get labeled you know the irish kind of singer yeah yeah other opportunities out there for you um, but actually, it's funny how things happen because, well, I'll just tell you first that, you know, while I was training with Sister Agnes in St. Mary's College, in third year, I actually went to train with Veronica Dunn in Dublin and Jenny Redden as a repetitor, so to train classically and um, in an opera style. And I soon realized that really wasn't for me, but it gave me good grounding and good technique. Um, and then I remember a friend rang the house phone um, and she said to me, I actually used to babysit her kids, and she said to me, I'm with an agency in Dublin, Denise, and they're looking for a girl, and you fit the bill, and they're looking for people to audition for Riverdance. 
And I thought, amazing. So I ran the agency. It was the um, Kelly Williams agency. And I auditioned for them, interviewed and all the rest. And they signed me up. So then I went for um, an audition for River Dance and another audition and another audition. It was a very long process. And then I was put on their, their, their list of people to call if someone leaves. Eventually, someone left. But in that time, it was probably... It was probably over the span of a year, actually, where I was kind of auditioning and then I was on their waiting list. Um, and then I was also trained to get Riverdance sound because I was such a musical theatre singer and I was training with Veronica Dunn in a classical style. It was really kind of just cleaning the line of the voice and getting rid of, you know, that belter kind of musical mm. theatre makes sense. Yes, yes. Simplifying it and getting back to my natural core sound. So I did a lot of work on that. And then um, this woman, this girl left and I was asked to take her place. So a contract was signed for a year and it was amazing. But it, it's, an incre it's incredible how things happen, only for the goodness of that woman, um, Margaret Kinney, actually. What year was that? That was, I toured in 2000, I think it was. The evolution of Riverdance, obviously, from the Eurovision, the the very first time, obviously with with uh, Michael Flatley and Jean Butler, wasn't it? Or Jean Butler, yeah. Or and so from that, obviously, Riverdance went through different evolutions and different changes, and you know, Michael Flatley left, and and um, so when you went into Riverdance that time, who were the main stars of Riverdance at the dancers? Um, there, was, there was a few. There was a few main. There was a few main dancers that actually changed around. Um, Port Moyles, I know Port Moyles was one of them, um, and he's an incredible dancer, and he's still working for Riverdance to this day. Absolutely amazing! It's such a big cast. It was incredibly huge, um, and I remember standing side stage the first time on this big stage. You know, age of eighteen, um, and I knew thousands were going to be in the audience that night, and I was just like, "Oh my god!" And at the time, I thought to myself. I want to go onto that stage now and sing on my own from Les Miserables. <laughs> you know, um, I wanted to go in and go like, um, just for that experience and stuff. But I was happy with where I was happy doing what I was doing. So I was basically one of the choir singers, and um, I don't remember was there. It was eight of us all together, and then I was auditioned and I was put on their their um, list for someone to kind of come in if someone needed a break, you know. Um, like an understudy so, type of thing. Exactly. I was trying to think of the word. Foggy brain today. And so um, I did that then. I sang in Boston um, solo, and that was an incredible experience. Um, Bill Phelan was there, and the producers, and that was amazing. So, yeah, I loved that. And I have to say, I never got panicky in Riverdance. I never had one moment where I didn't believe in myself or anything. It was just a beautiful experience, but it's also it's also credit to how comfortable I felt and how supported I felt by everyone around me. Everyone was a team, you know? Um, and every tour I've done since has, has felt like that, um, generally, far, one or two instances, but it's it's really down to the people you're around and making sure you feel safe and happy and you know because everyone everyone contributes you know 
um, to a, a vibe and an energy and, and how a show is put together. Um, so I feel like I've been very lucky. Yeah. I'll come back to Riverdance in a minute, but just going back to your training there, you said when you were in the Irish Academy of Music. Yeah. So what, at that stage, when you were doing those, were you in your head thinking, okay, I don't know if I want to be a classical singer. I think I'm more of a, like a, a Celtic soprano or, you know, I'm, were you, were you deliberating who you were going to be and what type of voice? I think I'm still deliberating that. <laughs> yeah. um, okay. No, but you know what? I always just wanted to better myself. Um, and it was never, it was never from a competitive point of view with anyone else other than me, you know? Um, and that's one thing I've learned as well. And that takes a lot of anxiety away, actually. Like, I'm such, I'm so more relaxed now. And I feel like if I could go back years ago and have the same approach that I have now, I think I would have enjoyed it a lot more. But, um, yeah, I just always wanted to better myself as a singer. So if that meant that I was going to work with Roman Tynan or I was going to work with Morgan Crowley or Brian Dunn or whoever... I just wanted to take tips that would help me as a singer. So better my support, better, better my breathing, and but also to become a vocal coach and teach singing. And in order to do that, you have to have a huge understanding of the instrument um, and how it works and, um, you know, and, and the different voice types and stuff. So I was just kind of a sponge and just taking everything in as, I, as much as I could. But ultimately, I just wanted to, same and just be my very best you know um, i'm still i'm still working on that <laughs> you know for you when you were you know training and in, in the you know the royal academy and everything was it something that during that process that they kind of earmark you for certain work or agencies or whatever how do you go from the academy of music into something that you can turn into a career do they have like work experience type things or how does that work? No, so I actually was just in the academy um, for a short while. I actually didn't stay okay. there. Um, yeah. So so I actually started, um, I'll just go back a bit. After school, um, I started in DIT. Um, I started in DIT um, to, to do music and that's where I met my husband. Um, and yeah, John, John Hughes and... Um, we actually were in a choir together, but we never introduced ourselves. Um, and eventually, eventually we got talking and that's where I met John. And then I ended up, I was on the waiting list for Riverdance. Um, and then I got to go off for the year. And then I came back and I remember I walked up the steps of DIT and he just looked at me and I looked at him and we just got chatting. He followed me down to the canteen and, um, you know, he, he just never left my side. <laughs> there was no shaking him off. There was no shaking him off. He was, prob he was probably regretting the first time letting you go. So he said, next time, yeah, don't yeah, worry. I never saw him in a choir class after, yeah, for a whole year. But, um, yeah, but, you know, the um, the course wasn't for me. I, I didn't want to focus on, like, composition and, um, you know, composing music and sonatas and all the rest of it. it just I just wanted to sing and, and be my authentic self and perform. So um, I left there and I, I trained, I continued training, I continued um, working with 
um, through my diplomas with the London College of Music, the Irish Board of Speech and Drama, um, the Guildford School of Acting as well, where I got my licentiate in musical theatre. Um, and, um, and then I went to Bunratty and I performed in Bunratty. Um, and I did a short stint in the Royal Irish as well. Um, I feel like I've been all over the place. But for me, when the opportunities to perform came along, I had to take them because that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to perform, you know. Um, and, uh, yeah, so... <laughs> yes, and you, uh, I see, obviously, I, you know, you, you did beauty therapy, but was that later? You studied that later on? I think I did Bunratty, and then I actually was working in a pharmacy while teaching in theatre schools. So I was teaching theatre schools in Avoca and Arclo and Gorey. And, um, yeah, I, I, I worked in a pharmacy. Um, and what else? I'm trying to think. There's so much. Yeah, and then I decided I wanted to be a beauty therapist. My, my two sisters are beauty therapists. I was always into, into all that. So I became a qualified beauty therapist. I worked at it for a year. And I'm like, you know, where is the performance? You know, where is this hair? I want just to add the bug and I just want to get back to it, you know? Um, yeah. And also, also the classes, like the demand for singing classes was huge. Okay. Um, and because it was more in line with what I really wanted to do and I was passionate about, um, I went with it, you know? So I, I was teaching full time then. Um, and I was working with Music Generation in County Leash as well, where I taught in Port Leash, Met Melek and Met Rath. Um, and I love that. I love working with the kids. And because I would, would have, you know, I suppose, been challenged with, with um, I suppose, getting up on stage and getting rid of all those nerves and stuff like that, I never wanted anyone else to feel that way. So I was always very empathic kind of teacher, very compassionate and very much, you know, you can do this, you've got this. Just very much believed in my students and really instilled that sense of confidence in them. So, yeah, that was kind of a driving force for me as well. So, but and I love performance, so I just love to get the best out of people as well. Um, and I'm still teaching to this day, actually. Um, and yeah, and when work, work comes up, it comes up. But in between all that, then I would have um, Simon's Special Olympics when Ireland was hosting Special Olympics in Pro Park. That was um, 2003, wasn't it? Yeah, so yeah, so that would have been actually my timelines are all over the place, so yeah. And um, so I would have I would have come back and um, sang for them there. Yeah, it's hard. Is it really going back in your life? It's like, no, I don't want to think about that. <laughs> I have notes, like for my research, I have notes of the years and stuff. And yeah. sometimes I'm into people, oh yeah, and you brought that album out in 1999. And they're like, did I, was it 99? And I'm like, I think so, I have it here. And they're like, yeah, yeah. it was, it was. So. It was lovely to get back to Riverdance and see all the girls again. Being the, the vibe of the music, I remember being in Riverdance walking back and hearing the tap dancing going on. It's just incredible. Um, so yeah, so that was that. So it's nice little stints here and there of things in between teaching, you know. Um, and then I said I want to record an album. And what I did was I just worked incredibly hard and I got a loan from the credit union of 10,000. Good old credit <laughs> union. 10,000 euro. When you think about the people that are making, you think about how people can make albums now, which is absolutely amazing. 
like just at home, you know. And here's me going for a loan for the credit for ten thousand euro. The funny thing is that it's like you know when um, when people go into the credit union and they're afraid to say what the loan is for. Like, for example, someone says, oh, I want to go on holiday. And the credit union goes, and what's the loan for? Know, and yeah. you go, it's a car. I need, I need a car. Yes. And <laughs> yes. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. The truth is that from these kind of, even though the credit union are great because they give loans for lots of things, but sometimes, you know, when people look at musicians and recording albums, they could be like, you're going to spend 10 grand recording an album. That's a waste of money. You could buy a, you could get a deposit on a small flat or something. And mm -hmm. the point is that it costs money to record albums and it costs money for studio time. But yeah. unfortunately, the banks and credit unions kind of don't think like that. They're like, you want a loan for what? You know. <laughs> and uh, I went off to Galway um, to work with Eugene Kelly and Mark Roberts. And I used to do that. Oh, yes, time. Eugene Kelly. Yeah. Oh, love that man. Oh, we laughed so much, so much. And his beautiful wife, Cindy. Absolutely gorgeous people, like the salt of the earth. Um, so Eugene and Mark Roberts produced, produced and recorded my album, um, and they were just so lovely. It was such a lovely experience, you know. And Eugene actually even said to me, Denise, I wrote a song for you for the album. Oh, and it's, wow. Yeah, which was really special. And it's called Ever and Ever. Um, and it's actually never been played on radio or anything like that. Um, but it's so beautiful. It's it's on my album, Same with the Wind, on Spotify, Apple Music, with Ever and Ever, Eugene Kelly. Um, and actually, and the, again, it's, sometimes your career is in the hands of the goodness of people because Eugene was so kind and so generous to hand that album to Carl Hessian, who then handed it to the producer of Women of Ireland. I didn't know he was doing this. Like, how good is that? He just did it. Wow. You know, yeah. there was no yeah. ego attached. And that's what we're talking about ego and people, you know, in the industry, no ego here at all. And um, he just did it. And I remember driving over um, and, and driving over to my mom's apartment outside. And I got a call from Eric Cunningham. And he said, uh, Denise, I got your album. I'd like to meet up with you. So I auditioned and um, kind of, kind of informal interviews, you know, meet up and chat about what I've done. And next thing I know, I'm recording an album for Women of Ireland and going on tour in America. Can I ask you, with that, I, I remember going to one of Eric Cunningham's shows in Galway once in the Black Box Theatre. I don't know, was it, did he, did Women of Ireland run in the Black Box as well? Do you remember? No, never. No. No, no. We, so um, what I, my, first, um, my first work with, with Women of Ireland was in America. So we toured America for 10 weeks. Um, and it was with Frankie Gavin and Dadanen. Okay, well. brilliant. Yeah, Michelle Lally was part of Women of Ireland and Ingrid Manson as well, two gorgeous women. Um, and yeah, I was just very lucky to get in with Michelle and Ingrid because they're two beautiful people. Um, yeah, M Michelle's an amazing singer. Yeah. She is. She sings from her heart and she's, she's very authentic, actually. You know, she's very much herself. 
um, and, uh, as to Ingrid. Um, so yeah, that was an incredible experience. And then not only that, but we did a tour with the Dublin Philharmonic Orchestra. And the Dublin Philharmonic Orchestra then asked me to do extra songs with them. And uh, like I never sang with an orchestra before in my life. And that was just like, that just blew me away. That was amazing. So I got to work with um, Derek Gleason and um, Colin Pierce as well, two conductors and just fabulous musicians. So like, isn't it amazing? If I, had, if I hadn't recorded that album and got that credit union loan. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. It paid off, right? Like the, the 10,000 paid off. I mean, for you, it was a huge investment, but it had a great return. It had a huge return, return yeah. And, you know, what I suppose it depends what you put value on in life. And for me, I just always wanted to make people happy and to bring some joy and just feel the magic. And I think if you are joyful and, and you're loving what you do on stage, people are going to enjoy it too. They're going to feel it, you know. You know, with, with any of those kind of things, with music, sometimes, you know, you have to work your ass off and you have to put money into it and time. And, you know, you mightn't get a return for a long time, but then hopefully one day that opportunity will knock on the door or someone will listen to your album or hear your song. And it doesn't work for everybody. I mean, lots of people do amazing work, but unfortunately they don't get discovered. And, you know, the, the great thing is when somebody does get discovered that has talent and can go a long way, it's great to see all the work they've put in is finally paying off. Like, I think, I think that that's what it is. I think if I had sat and waited for someone to just come and discover me, it would never have happened. You know, every step up to those points, up to even Riverdance, you know, and um, me going to singing lessons, performing and taking every opportunity. Not only was I... Um, staying on that path that I was perfecting what I was doing you know I'm a different singer now to what I was back then but you know I've learned so much along the way and every every step is so important but yeah it does take work and determination and not to give up and I could have given up so many times you know um because it's hard it's not easy and no there's been so many people so many people in the industry that can, that can and could help you that choose not to, you know? And, and that's why those two people, like that wonderful woman, Margaret Kinney, for ringing me and telling me about this agency and for the beautiful soul that is Eugene Kelly, for, for just simply passing on my album, like was huge for me, huge. And it was just a phone call for them, you know, for Margaret and it was just handing over CD for Eugene, but it had such a huge impact on my life. So I'll be forever grateful. That's a really interesting point you make there. And I kind of, you know, I, I always think of that is that there are so many people in the music industry and acting industry and everything that could help other people. But the point is that un unfortunately people can be a little selfish and their own ego gets in the way because it's, I don't mean it's like jealousy or anything, but sometimes people are like, well, what's in it for me? You know, or do I get something from it? And what, what do I get in return? And sometimes you have to put that aside and you have to say, well, look, maybe right now I'm not shining in the spotlight, but there's no reason why this person I'm working with can't. So I, I'm going to pass on their work. And unfortunately, maybe more, you know, people who have, 
a good network and have maybe kind of a, a bit of influence could recommend other artists and and get more artists yeah. work and everything but it doesn't as happen as much as it could doesn't it? i think that's true it, it, it really doesn't and when you think about it um you know those two people that I mentioned, you know, they weren't singers. You know, there's so many singers that I know and I've heard a lot of a lot of people say, Oh Denise, you know, you'd be amazing singing this with me, or you'd be amazing in that show. I'm gonna I'm gonna pass you on the details, or you wouldn't hear anything from them, and it's all spoofing, you know. And I nearly prefer not to be told anything. Do you get me? Yes. Because yeah. you put so much hope on it and then you get so disappointed because when you're the person that would actually um, cheer, be the cheerleader for other people, and you would actually give someone else, um, you know, a help or a support. You can kind of be a little bit sensitive when someone else says they will and then they don't. You know. Yeah, well, even, even even the thing is, I can tell you, Denise, and I don't mind saying this, that even when I started this podcast, uh, like not even six months ago, you know, I'd, I'd send messages to people like potential guests. And the truth is, if you're not known, it's very hard. It's like people can just ignore you, you know. So like, I, I have sent I have sent messages, you know. To some people on Facebook, to who uh, I they would have I would have already added them as a friend, you know, and I would say, hey, would you like to come on the show? And you know, I think people would like to hear your story, and I'd never hear from them. But then, after a few months, when I had other guests, and you know, the the your guests are like more, more higher profile or whatever, sometimes those people can send you back a message and say, oh, sorry, I never saw the message or whatever, and I don't like that. I mean, because it's not. Like somebody said to me one day, you know, unfortunately, some people will only work with you depending on who you have worked with or the names that are on your CV role or whatever, you know, and that's a shame. It's a shame, isn't it? I think. Yeah, it really, really is. Um, pe people definitely don't give others the benefit of the doubt. Um, I think we definitely need to be more open, um, you know, but like I was... I think when when you approached me about it, I just from a from someone else's perspective, I was actually nervous about talking about myself. <laughs> yes, yes. Because um, I was, and I, it didn't take me so long to get back to you. I don't think. I think. No, no, you got back very quickly. I, yeah, I think yeah. that was pretty good. But um, I was like nervous, and I said to my twin brother, I said, James. Oh God, I have, to, I have to talk about myself and kind of what I've done. I don't really like talking about myself. We turned around and said, We stopped me. <laughs> you love talking about yourself. The thing is, it's. Um, it, it when like I try and do this podcast very naturally, so it's more like a chat. Yeah, and the thing is, w once people can relax a little, the idea yeah. is then they, they talk. And even if yeah. you know, some people might say, "Well, sure, what have I to talk about?" And then an hour and a half later, mm -hmm. you go, "Well, you had a little to talk about," you know. So I know, but, but it's, it just goes to show that's what lockdown has done as well. You know. Tell us about um, obviously the time you recorded the Christy Hennessy song, and you know, and, and you sang with him as well, didn't you? Yes, I did. Um, so my sister actually worked in RTE. She was a producer in RTE for a couple of the afternoon show, show the Michelle show, and stuff like that. And she's actually in a completely different career now. She's an English teacher. Um, okay. But yeah, so she would have met Daniel O'Donnell and um, and Christy Hennessy. 
And so she actually put Christy Hennessy in contact with me. And we used to call each other randomly on the phone. Um, he used to like ring and ask me how my songwriting was going. I'd read him some lyrics over the phone. I'd sort of sing him a song over the phone. I remember he sent me a tape of a melody. Yeah, he sent me a tape, a cassette tape at the time, of a melody that he had written, right? He just sang it because he didn't write. So he just sang it. Um, and um, he said to me, please put lyrics to this. So I was like, God, oh, I can't do that. And, and honestly, these are some of the things I kind of cringe at. Why didn't I do that? Now I'm like, right. me, yeah. what were thinking? So I didn't actually do anything with it. Um, and it's so surprising to me now. But look, you live and you learn. I was young. I was worrying about be good enough. This is Christy Hennessy. Like, what if I I write something and it's not good enough and he's not going to like it? And so I I shied away from it a little bit. But look, we still kept in contact. I went to see him in the Helix, and he said to me, "I called the one up. I called you up from the audience, and I said I didn't hear my name." He said, "If there's a singer in there who wants to come up and sing this duet with me." Come up now, and I'm like, oh no, I was sitting in the balcony. <laughs> I couldn't, oh, no. you know. Yeah. So be, because, uh, yeah, and I was also very, 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 you know, shy. But we went to the green room after his birthday, and I met his wife Jill, um, and we just sat around and had like seven ups together and a chat and a sing along, and it was just so lovely. But he's such, a, he will, he was such a gorgeous soul, and. Um, then I was teaching at the theatre schools and I saw that he was down in the Riverside Park Hotel performing. And I remember teaching in Avoca and I was teaching four o'clock to eight o'clock. And as soon as that, I remember I was still in my runners and I don't know how I looked, but I literally ran. So got in the car, went to pick my mum up in Arklow and we raced down tennis Gorby, um, and we were late for the gig, but that's okay. We went in. And he was up on stage singing, and he said, "If there's anyone in the audience who wants to come up and sing this song with me, if you were to again, fall, <laughs> yeah, come up." So I'm like, "What will I do with Mom? Will I do it?" <laughs> Just like it up to me. So up I went anyway, and there was a sedul beside him. Can, can I ask you, when he said that, if there's anyone, did anybody else get up as well? No one actually, can you imagine? <laughs> I'd be racing them to it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No one actually did. Thankfully, thankfully they didn't. No, I'd be very gracious if I let them on. <laughs> but yeah, you know, so I, I sat on this stool that was beside him, to the left of him, and he just turned to me and he said, Denise, you know? So he was so surprised to see me, and I was just like, Hi, <laughs> and the producer handed me the lyrics first, um, and we sang "If You Were to Fall." And did I get a recording of that? No. Oh and, no. Yeah. Um, one of my cousins from Wexford was actually in the audience, and she was so surprised. You know, I don't think she'd actually ever heard me sing. You know, in, in real life, but um, probably heard my mommy saying, you know, Denise is singing here, Denise is singing there, you know, you know how mommies go on, but um, yeah, that was an incredible night, and you know what, it was... Maybe somebody out there has a recording, you never know.
Well, if anyone is listening to this and they have a recording, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it would yeah. it would be crazy, wouldn't it? It would be crazy if you if there was a recording on somebody's phone or something. That would be amazing. But um, I went back anyway. He was signing albums after in the corridor, and I was lining up with everyone else. And uh, he came to me anyway and said, "Geez, what are you doing lining up with everyone else? You shouldn't be lining up. Come over here." And he was just such a gentleman. Um, and one of the people working with him on that concert said he had to open the door because he thought it was his sister, his daughter singing, and uh, with them, you know. So that was that was a huge. Concert. What what was, what was his daughter's name again? Or oh, what was she the unusual name? The daughter. Hermione. 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 That's it. Gorgeous. Oh my god. She's a stunning singer. That's so beautiful. Yeah, I love her. Does she sing anymore now? You, you don't really hear of her much. Is she still singing? Um, I'd imagine she is. Um, I'd imagine she is. Yeah, 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 yeah. In to some capacity, you know, like everyone else, very you know, but yeah, I'd imagine she is. Um yeah, so that was lovely. And then actually that was actually before I recorded my album Sailing with the Wind with Mark and Eugene. Because when I was going down then, when I was going over to Galway to Salt Hill, Arna is just outside Salt Hill, so that's where I would have recorded it in Eugene's studio. Um, but I would have rang him and told him about it, and I asked him, could I record if you were to follow my album? He said, yes, absolutely, and I'll sing it with you. And I said, oh my God, that would be amazing. Wow. And yeah, you record your vocal, and when it's done, you send it to me. So after weeks of this, he eventually got on the phone to me and he said, Denise, I'm so sorry. My manager has sat me down in a coffee shop outside um, over a cup of coffee and shown me my contract. And I'm not allowed to sing this song uh, with you. I'm so, so sorry. So that was just an example of not being a name. Do you know what I mean? If I was a name, it wouldn't it wouldn't have been an issue. And but that's I that's a shame, heart, isn't it? It is, but I knew his heart was in the right place. And the fact that he even just took an interest in me and my album and he listened to it, I sent him a copy after we were done. Um, it was lovely. And I remember being on the Lewis and Dublin actually, and he said to me, If you wrote the words, and I said to him back, and you wrote the melody, because that's one of his lyrics in his songs. Yeah. And yes. I just thought, oh, <laughs> anyway, wow. I, I was in love with the man. I absolutely love him. So when he passed away, I actually cried my eyes out, cried my eyes out. Well, I mean, it was great that he, you know, he, he came into your life and uh, that way yeah. he did and, and that, you know, you had the pleasure of meeting him because, you know, um, uh, having seen him and heard his music, he was a very nice guy and very inspirational for a lot of people. So, I mean, you had a great experience. Yeah, very spiritual. Yeah, very yeah. spiritual man as well. Um, just getting back to, you know, how people won't work with you unless you have a certain name. I'm not the Christy was. Christy, Christy wanted to. It was his management that couldn't because of contract. But um, there was one guy who I actually contacted on Facebook was doing loads of duets with loads of different amazing musicians and singers and I said to him I'd love to do a song with you do you ever with you at some stage you'd have me if you're interested and you know what he actually said to me he said no I only work with people who have um a high percentage of likes on their on their music oh, pages God. I'm like oh my god and you'd be surprised if I told you who this person was as well which I won't um, but I was, I was just, I could guess, but I won't. <laughs> no, 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 no. Because you know what? Um, 
when you know better, you do better. And I suppose he, he, that's his thinking. He's trying to be at a certain level, he, a level that he thinks is working. Um, but I think it's such a beautiful thing if you can help others and you can showcase talent. Yeah. I do believe that when you when you do good, good comes back as well, you know. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, I get that because, you know, like I, I recently I asked this guy in America, you know, um, I won't say what field he's in, but he's in a certain area and he was kind of well known. And I asked him about coming on the podcast and he said to me, oh, unless you're like Joe Rogan or he said, I, I'd have to charge you. And I was like, well, you know, I don't have that kind of budget. So, so I mean, the, the problem is that nowadays through social media and this, the whole thing of likes and everything, people are putting a price on their own popularity and they're thinking, oh, well, that person's too small for me and that won't help my career. And they're not looking mm -hmm. at it from the point of view is that, wow, I could go on that show and have a really great chat and enjoy it. They're looking at it from the point, what will I gain from it? How will it make me more famous? And that's, a, a, that's a, you know, it's a hard thing to deal with. But unfortunately, in this modern day society of social media, it's everywhere now. Oh, God, absolutely everywhere. And um, social media is a hard place to be right now as well, I think. Mm. Um, yeah. And it's saturated with so much talent that I think people are even more competitive than what they used to be. And they're not as quick to support, you know. Um, the one thing I will say, though, is that I think the one thing about social media is that there is a lot of people with real talent and they're being left behind because they're, especially with the world of influencers, you know, there's a lot of people with, with no talent and, but they do something funny or they're, you know, something that gets a lot of likes or a viral sensation. And because all those social influencers are competing with the singers and the actors and everything now, it's totally saturated. So it's very hard for a singer to get people to watch their video or something. It's really difficult. Yeah. It's, it's almost like the classroom scenario, you know? Mm. Think of this classroom scenario, the, the, all the popular girls and boys, and even though, you know, you know you're really talented and it's, it's innate, it's within you, you kind of step back a little bit and you shy, shy away. Um, and we have to learn to put ourselves out. Uh, I've used this word a few times now, but authentically, and it's hard to do that. It's hard to bear yourself on social media. Like, it's, it's hard to put up a video, say, if you're used to sing, like me, you know, you're used to just getting up and singing and performing, but actually talking and chatting is a whole different thing. And, you know, when it comes to the other people seeing, it's not just, say, me having a conversation with you, it's whoever views it as well. So it's like you have to build confidence with that as well. And even on social media, so if you put, put it to a live, say, on social media, it's a, it's a little scary, but it's you have to go with it. You have to move with it and build your confidence with it, because otherwise, you're just going to get left behind. But um, there's so much happening right now that it's so easy to put off. Unfortunately, as well, what's happening, obviously, with Facebook and stuff, and, you know, people have talked to me about this, is that mm. one time, you know, you kind of knew if you put up a video or some kind of performance, you know, people would comment on it. But now, like, people are just liking and reacting. So you're not really getting anything because people are being a bit lazy. They're just like, mm -hmm. oh, like, like. And I think sometimes people just do it because they yes. know you or or they've heard of you or something. Yes. And it would be great sometimes if people went, I really enjoyed that performance of that song or that 
shore or whatever. Yeah. And rather, yeah. because you don't, from the reactions and the likes, it doesn't really tell you anything. It's kind of a lazy way of, like a lazy voting. <laughs> I know it's hard to know, like, okay, yeah, when you think, when you break it down, or all these people that are commenting, they're people I've worked with in the past, which is lovely. It makes you feel like you're liked, you know, and you're loved, and, you know, people are still want to see you succeed and do well. So that's always really nice. That's, that is important, right? And I, I very much value that. But it's also really good to hear from people that you've never heard for, that you haven't influenced or been around, because then you know it's, it's, because they just genuinely like the music, um, you know what I mean, um, as opposed to anything else. But I think for me, actually, the music page on Facebook has been brilliant for that. Um, because when you, if, if you if you posted a video and you want to promote it, it can get to so many people that you don't know. And these people that you don't know don't have to comment on it. So when you get those comments, it does actually give you a bit of a confidence boost. But social media, it's it's just, I don't know. <laughs> it's difficult. It's difficult. It's difficult one. And then people like see this, what do you think of the stories on social media? You know, you can view someone's stories. So yeah. People are viewing yeah. your stories. So it's almost like you've loads of observers, you know. It's yes. okay yeah. to, be, to be nosy, basically, you <laughs> know. But not contribute, so you don't have to press that like button, you know. Yeah, it's a it's a mixed bag, really. I think social media now because you know the whole dopamine thing, where we're getting a hit from you know this adrenaline thing of people liking you, and and people are getting fixated on being liked and being loved. And but the the problem is now, I mean, there's. There's a lot of love in social media. There's a lot of hate and there's a lot of mixed up mm. kind of comments and everything. And you, you kind of don't know what's genuine sometimes. So it's it's very fake in some ways and in other ways it's great. But yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think sometimes we get, everybody goes through this period, especially when you're trying to promote something where you do it for two or three weeks and then you're like, I don't want to be on Facebook again or I'm sick of it or, you know. Yeah, uh, I, uh, I think I think we've all been through that for sure. I, it's hard when you see the fakeness there. Um, and I remember I went through a stage of, I do not want to be on this anymore. It's not serving me. It's not making me feel good about myself. Um, because you see the fake, the falseness, you know. Um, you see the observers, but... There is no contribution. There's no likes or how are you or anything. And you just feel like you're patting your laundry out to dry. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah. for all the neighbors to see. <laughs> but, but you don't get any feedback. And so I think I can, I, I certainly felt a little bit vulnerable in the past, you know, um, because you don't know where you're standing. When, when people are just seeing things but not interacting with you, you don't know how it's really going down. Um, and then there's the competitive side of things where other singers in the industry are popping in and checking in on you as well. And you know, you know that these people are competitive with you and have been competitive with you and do not have your best interests at heart. And, no, no, you're right. But you know, so some of them don't, and but there's a lot of them that do, right? Absolutely. But yeah, it can be, it's a mixed bag, social media. Um, I, I I do love it. I do appreciate it. I think it has certainly helped a lot of people 
get their material out there. It has connected a lot of people. And there's a lot of people that I love. And that's why I haven't left because there's so many people that I love that are on it and that genuinely are just gorgeous and do add, you know, value to my life um, in some way, even if it's just a comment or whatever. It's 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 a it's a positive thing, you know, it's genuine, you know. So that kind of kept me in. Yeah, well I, I always have this kind of model, you know. Even though I always think if if you don't have anything good to say as on Facebook or anything, don't say anything because you know I've often looked at a video talk that's ridiculous. But you could type something, but then you're falling into that trap, you know. So unless you have something good to say, I think don't say anything because we don't need negative comments. And it's not it, the negative comments aren't helping anything. I mean, you, of course, you don't want to write down comments that are fake. But the thing is, it, unless you have something genuine to say that's real and positive don't say anything like you don't need to comment if you want to comment and say good job well done i really loved it brilliant but if you want to say something bad just refrain don't do it yeah and, and those people that do comment um negative negative comments on posts and stuff like that that's just a testament to where they're at in life and their perception of life and where they're coming from like it's nothing to do with the person they're actually judging no it's nothing no, to do no. with them you know and these people who have such great ideas and opinions of everything aren't always correct. They're not always educated. And it may be true for them. It may be their truth because that's where their perspective of where they're coming from. But it's not actually how it is. Um, and if that's the case and it's not positive, yeah, I agree with you. Just like drop the comment. Don't comment at all. And, you know, it, yeah, you know, and, and very... I'm very much like that. Like I just don't comment. If I don't, if something doesn't resonate with me and I don't particularly enjoy it, I'm not going to fall. I won't. I just won't comment. I won't say anything. And um, other than that, I'll be doing little hearts and the, you know. It's only bringing yourself down. Yeah, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. Isn't that it? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So listen, what what's you know for for you for the next you know year or so? What kind of plans do you have? Are you going to record new music or are you going to do virtual shows or what kind of plans do you have? So I feel like I'm in a, in a learning process at the moment. Like I have this time to just work on myself as a singer. Um, I would say to become a musician because I'm not really a musician. <laughs> um, you know, and it's more of a case of having to because, um, you know, I, I used to get to work with amazing musicians and obviously now I can't. So, you know, but it's good for me, you know, just even just simple accompaniment and stuff like that, just to get my repertoire up, I suppose. Um, I've done some great collaborations with Jim Sheridan, actually, um, Camber Quartet, um, oh show. yes, 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 yes. It feels a goal collaboration with him during lockdown, and uh, with Mark Cahill of the Ivory Sessions. So I recorded uh, something inside so strong with him, and that was amazing. I love that. And so he's actually going to be releasing an album um, of I think certain volumes with the various artists that he's recorded with, and he has told me um, it's going to be out. I think maybe in the summer. I'm not sure. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, and I just want to, in the future, I would say, get working on an album. Another album would be lovely. Um, that would be great. Taking, yeah, and just taking any opportunity that comes my way. Because yeah, yeah. it's for the enjoyment of it. But obviously, my children take up a huge amount of, of my time and um, attention. But I'm also incredibly lucky to be married to a very supportive man. He's, like, I couldn't have done what I've done without him. He's been absolutely amazing. So, um. 
and thankfully they've been short stints like when we got married it was we got married and then a few months later I went off on a 10 week tour you know what I mean but it was grand he came out and he visited and we, we, we did great things um yeah he's been super the other tours have been on have been like four weeks three weeks two weeks that kind of thing and um, so I couldn't have done it with support without the support of my family so I know that that's there for me in the future um and who knows? I'll just just keep singing. It's not it. Keep singing and keep dreaming. Yeah. Well, well, I, I mean, that's it. You know, you, you have to stay positive anyway. Yeah. And as you said, when you have a family and every year you get older, sometimes the chances can become yeah. less, you know. So, but you just have to, you have to keep working away you and, you know, record your music yeah. and do your, do yeah. your thing. And just eventually, you know, things will happen because, you know, hard work, you know, is necessary. Good things don't come easily. You have to work hard. No. Oh my God. You could. You first of all, you need intention. Without intention, you've got nothing because you've no direction. You need intention so you know where you want to end up. And you know, even even the Wrights brothers, you know, when they were what did they do the the airplanes or something? The airplanes. Yeah. I mean, that that stems stemmed from an idea. Do you know what I mean? Without that idea, everything we see in this life has come from someone's brain, someone's idea, and someone's intention. So once once we, you know, and it's it's leaving the house, just believing and knowing that you know it will all work out. But you know, as I said, I'm older now than I was back then. I, I still I'm not as ambitious as I was, but I'm certainly a dreamer, and I'm certainly just. Come alive and light up inside when I'm on stage. So I want that for me again, um, and I'm certainly happy with my with my two beautiful children on a sat on a Friday night. You know, on the couch cooking dinner together. You know what I mean? Like it's that's, that's great. gorgeous too. So I mean, once I can just dip in and out of it, I'm perfectly happy. And I'm also teaching online now as well. I'm teaching singing lessons online. So that's keeping me going and we don't know where this lockdown is headed we don't know how long we're in for now um but i would imagine another year i don't know I don't, who knows but uh i suppose i'm prepared <laughs> that's great um denise you know and listen you know you're going to sing a, a song out in a minute but we want to say thank you very much for coming on the show i mean it's been a pleasure and it's been really interesting and insightful to hear your you know about your life with river dance my ramblings <laughs> yeah but everything i mean you know what you're singing with it, it's been great and oh, you know and once you. again thanks a lot and we wish you the best for this year thank and we hope so obviously that things you know um happen again for you when the lockdown goes and everything works out well so what song are you going to sing us out with well, first of all i'd like to say thank you so much simon for having me i actually heard you enjoyed this chat and i hope i didn't talk your ears off no 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 you're <laughs> that, fine that's what lockdown does that's what lockdown does that's what lockdown does <laughs> so i'm going to um sing you out with a beautiful song called i love hope so i hope you enjoy it Thanks again. Yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. Well, thanks again, Denise. And um, we hope to hear from you again soon in the future. And, you know, enjoy your weekend and everything and take care. I will. Thank you. You too. Denise Brennan, everybody. On the first day of January 1892, they And the first to cross the threshold
Okay, thank you very much, Denise Brennan. That was a very interesting interview, and we loved hearing your stories about Riverdance and your professional career so far, and all about your family and everything. Thank you very much for all of that. Okay, moving on to next week's guest. So next week we have um, actor, writer, and director Baz Black. He is currently playing Ged Delaney in the forthcoming TV series Kin, which will be on Irish TV soon. His acting credits include Into the Badlands, The Dublin Murders, Dredges, and The Zenith Protocol. He is owner of the award-winning production company Sherlock Productions, and he has appeared on many talk shows promoting body positivity and anti-discrimination the Nolan Show, Katie Hopkins, the Tommy Tiernan Show, Ryan Tuberty, the Claire Byrne Show, Ireland AM, Nikki Byrne, and so much more. He is also the author of the best-selling book, Ink Princess, and a drummer for Amongst the Wolves and the Prodigy Sons. And he is currently in pre-production for debut feature film, Dublin Crust. Okay, so that will be a really interesting chat, and we look forward to that. And we hope you join us and we hope you've enjoyed the podcast today. So everybody, take care of yourself, look after everybody else and have a beautiful day. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.